0: Welcome back to Love Tanker. I'm Ryan Cooper, and it's just me today. Uh, Lexi is uh, off sick, um, and I've just got a, a sort of special bonus episode for everybody. A little extra treat for uh, uh, the new, new Hampshire folks and, uh, you know, anybody who's uh, just, um, you know, waiting for the votes to come in uh, on Tuesday tomorrow, recording this Monday night. And so, you know, first of just first of all I wanted to give, you know, give give every <clears throat> friendship and solidarity to everybody out there who is um, you know knocking doors for for Bernie. Um Bernie's having a, a massive rally in New Hampshire right now with AOC and the Strokes, apparently 0.5% of the New Hampshire population uh, is at this rally, which is a really quite you know quite astonishing number, especially in the dead of winter and so you know best of luck to everybody let's hope but you know let's hope we leave it all on the field and however we we might do that, but in the meantime, I thought there it would be interesting to talk a little bit about uh the history of the last uh you know twelve uh thirteen years um to talk about Why, why you need a good uh, president? Why you need someone in the chair who has good politics, who understands, you know, the problems that are, that are facing the country and will not hesitate to take action, um, in case of emergency. And so. You know, back back in the Obama years, a lot of liberals and, and Democratic partisans had this idea of the the green. They, they it was a, a, a sort of slur for um, critics of the president who 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 argued that he had failed uh, the the American people, that he had made bad decisions, and he had he had uh, poor leadership, had displayed poor leadership. And um, they call the the these people adherents of the Green Lantern theory of the presidency. And you know, Green Lantern, if you know your comic books, uh, Green Green Lantern uh, is a guy or a bunch of people, I think, who who uh, you know, if you're just a normal person and you get. Uh, you get hold of the green lantern ring then you can sort of more or less do whatever you want so long as you have the imagination and uh, and the will to uh you know uh, exert your power sort of nietzschean type of uh superhero um and and so and so the argument was that that these you know these critics were understating uh, you know, the ability of the president to accomplish things, in particular, legislation. You know, the president has to get stuff through Congress. There are many veto points, you know, the filibuster, uh, the committee system, uh, and so on and so forth. And, and so, and so you can't just overlook those things when you're criticizing Obama. Yeah. You know, so the basic argument is that Obama was, Obama wasn't doing bad things. Obama was constrained. You know, the, the reason the whole hope and change didn't, didn't uh, pan out is because the American Constitution, uh, doesn't allow the president really to do much of anything without huge congressional majorities. Um, and in the case of the Democratic Party of 2009 to 2010, you know, there are a whole lot of conservative Democrats and they were very hesitant about voting for fiscal stimulus. You know, they're, they're really worried about the budget deficit and they didn't like government regulations and so on. And, um, you know, so he really, he, he did it as best he could, but that, that was pretty much how the limits of our system uh, uh, hamstrung his presidency. And as far, you know, insofar as you're talking about, like, actually passing regulation, uh, uh, or new laws, rather, um, they have a point. You know, the 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 American system is an incredible anachronism. You know, it, it does place nearly insurmountable hurdles uh, between um, passing, you know, getting, winning the presidency or even, you know, getting a majority in Congress. And, um, I'm actually getting the, the bill through both the, the committees in the House and the Senate, then, then through the full House and the full Senate. Um, and then through the Senate filibuster, which, you know, Democrats, uh, refused to get rid of Senate Democrats did. Uh, even though you can, you can change that with just a, a, a majority vote, you know, the Senate can set its own rules. So they they have a point there, but the critics of Green Lanternism really go way too far uh, in in portraying Obama as sort of the prisoner of circumstance. Uh, He actually had a tremendous amount of freedom of movement. And there's a book here that I'm going to be relying on by a, a fellow named Reed Hunt, and it's called A Crisis Wasted. And Hunt was an early Obama fundraiser, a bundler, you know, saw a lot of promise in this guy, wanted to get in. I think he was chair or he was on the board of the FCC, um, uh, back during the Clinton years, you know, a sort of good, one of the, the party insiders who is, uh, who, who, um, I would say his head is mostly screwed on straight and, um, so he was there at the time helping during the transition uh, be- you know, from 2007 to 2008, and he also interviewed a bunch of the key players um, in the, uh, afterwards as part of you know, sort of reporting out this book, basically. And what he found is that, that Obama had several golden opportunities to uh, conduct the bailout in a different way that, than, he, than he eventually did um and and in so doing you know doomed the united states to a decade and ca- decade plus now 12 years and counting of of economic stagnation you know growth has been distinctly under par compared to the uh, average from uh, 1945 to 2007 it's been slower now than it's ever been um and we are something like you know 15 to 18 trillion dollars in the hole compared to the previous um margin. You know, it's been basically a mild depression, even though the economy right now is still, you know, unemployment is very low. The economy is still quite weak uh, overall. Like there is almost certainly a good deal even today of of uh, unused potential. You know, you look at the unemployment rate below four percent and there is not a whisper of inflationary pressure. And what that suggests is that, uh, number one, you know, back in like 2012, you know, the federal reserve was estimating that you couldn't get unemployment below 6% without causing inflation. And, um, you know, how low could it go below 2%? Who knows? And, uh, you know, in 2017, the, the Republicans, um, hit the economy with a big old, uh, dollop of fiscal stimulus in the form of tax cuts. And that didn't cause any inflationary pressure either. It didn't really help that much because most of the tax cuts went to rich people who don't spend the money that much. But you know, anyways, the point being that uh, you know the the economy is 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 still you know sort of fundamentally unsound. And so, um, the the story starts in in two thousand eight. You know, so in September, you know, the bailout is is getting uh, gathering strength and uh you know Lehman Brothers fails in mid September and Paulson goes to Congress with like basically a 800 or 700 billion dollar blank check that he wants you know I'm just going to take this and I'm going to do whatever I want with it to stabilize the financial system and the response for, to this from the citizenry was overwhelmingly negative. People hated this you know, with good reason. It, it was just, I remember even at the time, it was like, this is outrageous. You're going to give $700 billion, uh, no strings attached to the people who just wrecked the world economy. How about they pay some, you know, like, you know, if we're going to pay, like I, I, uh, I wanted to know that, that at least you're going to like take some action to, uh, you know, make sure that the, the, the the banker the the system the broken financial system is going to be totally over overhauled you know we can't let this happen again but Democrats uh, led by Obama by this point basically they they took the idea that going with Paulson was a responsible thing and you know this was just a sort of a freak coincidence you know just a, a random uh, uh attack of finance uh un- apolitical financial panic and so the respon the uh, the politically responsible thing to do was just sort of go along with what paulson was doing and don't uh you know try to force him to to uh, add any conditions and um so Obama went out there and he whipped votes for this you know this bill and uh you know everybody assumed that he was going to win the presidency. And, um, so he was effectively leading the party by this point and Democrats took their cue from him because they really didn't have any idea what to do. Meanwhile, Republicans would not vote for the bailout. They, you know, thought it was a unfair, you know, there was a significant populist strain even on the right, uh, to saying that like, this is outrageous. We can't be giving these, these bankers a bunch of money. And, uh, then on the other hand that like, this is socialism, which, you know, I mean the worst kind of so, like Soviet style socialism where you're you're just ba- just directing state money into these failing enterprises. Um and so they the, the majority of Republicans in the House and the Senate I believe voted against the the bailout bill. Um and Democrats controlled the House by this point if you remember. And so Democrats had to provide a, a the bulk of the votes for the bailout package and they tried and they had you know so they had the support of the congressional leadership in the democratic party but they couldn't get it through um and it failed uh and then the markets tanked and there was this massive panic and so they came up with a new proposal that had some more oversight and it had some some an unspecified appropriation for homeowner assistance that uh um gave the president sweeping authority to to use uh they could do uh, repayment modifications or they could do interest rate modifications or they could do principal reductions or like anything else they deemed necessary so they basically had full authority to meddle with uh mortgages doing whatever they wanted but at the end of the day it was basically the same uh overall approach as the o- o- original 700 billion blank check Paulson could got his money and he could you know with certain stip- uh stipulations and qualifications do with it whatever he wanted to do, um, and they could get you know a, a, a huge portion of the the you know there were two, there were two sort of sort of tranches of this two chunks of this bailout you know they got the first three hundred fifty billion uh, initially and then they could come back in January and get another three fifty if they wanted and so or later than that and so Obama got behind this one and uh as well and this time it passed i think largely because you know of the the panic you know that was just this we got to pass it uh you know the world is melting down we have to do something and so obama neither obama nor democrats pre, pre, uh, presented an alternative plan and they didn't uh, force paulson to add more conditions um which they could have done. Uh, Austin Goolsbee, who is, who was a Obama economic advisor. He admits this to, to hunt. He says, uh, uh, we could have forced more mortgage relief. We could have imposed tighter conditions on dividends and executive compensation. And they, they didn't do that because they thought it would be irresponsible. And they're, they're following, uh, you know, this fake history of the new deal. Um, if you listen back in a previous episode, I'll link it in the description, um, historian Eric Rauchway, you know, goes through this in his book, Winter War. You know, the, 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 the false history is the idea that Franklin Roosevelt deliberately, uh, did not help, uh, Herbert Hoover, uh, stop the depression because he wanted to use the depression to get the new deal passed. Um, and it's true that, uh, uh, FDR wouldn't go along with what Hoover wanted to do, but what Hoover wanted to do was to uh, basically stop the New Deal, the whole thing. So he was trying to bait Roosevelt into uh, giving up on all of his policies. Um, The situation isn't totally analogous um, because Paulson was trying to rescue the banks, but he was trying to rescue it in a way that would basically prevent any sort of uh, systematic overhaul of Wall Street, you know, get the banks like cut them way down to size, break up all the big, the, the biggest banks, you know, r- reduce the power and the profitability of Wall Street and prevent, you know, get get the sort of very deep structural reforms that did happen after the New Deal. So if you think about it, uh, refusing to go along with uh, Hoover was actually the responsible thing to do because the country was falling apart in, you know, uh, 1932, 1933 in that winter and what, you know, what the banking sector needed and what the, the country as a whole needed was top to bottom, you know, structural reform of the economy to, you know, to fix the underlying conditions. And similar, the so the, the analogy does hold in this way, because going along with Paulson, while it did save the financial system, you know, prevent a sort of chaotic collapse of the entire thing. Also foreclosed the possibility of the, the serious structural reform that would have been necessary to really cut Wall Street down to size. You know, stop them from looting American corporations and throwing thousands of people out of work in these sort of, you know, hostile takeover corporate raider type of shit that we've seen. And also put in place the kind of like, you know, hard ass regulations that would prevent future financial crises. Instead, you know, a couple of years down the road, we got this Dodd-Frank thing, which has like some good stuff in it, but it's super fucking complicated. And because Obama restored the, the profitability and therefore the power of the banks, that when they try to implement this thing, it ran into this just buzzsaw of legal harassment and chicanery. And it took them years to get even like the the simplest parts of, of the bill actually implemented. And the crisis was a golden opportunity for Obama, who who really held the whip hand. You know, Paulson was at the head of this uh, outgoing president who had who was horribly unpopular, remember, at that time. And, um, you know, he's just the treasury secretary, secretary. Bush was completely checked out of governance. You know, so he is like standing on a thin reed and he needed Democratic votes to get his bailout authority. And so Obama could have, you know, forced that or, you know, forced through some sort of holding action if, if, if Paulson wouldn't, wouldn't agree to, to that just to get, you know, the, the country over the line into the next administration. And then from then do another real bailout. Um, that would have, you know, a, a bailout that would have, you know, nationalized all the biggest firms and then, um, cut them into pieces and sold them back into the market, you know, and, and, and in that case, you know, what bedeviled the Obama team at the time and then later was that they were so terrified of economic collapse with this bloated crisis prone, um, financial system that they felt they couldn't do anything to, um, you know, rein it in. And then back of their minds probably was the fact that if they did any of that stuff, they wouldn't be able to go in the buck raking, tours giving speeches to banks or like tim geithner go work for a hedge fund and make millions and millions of dollars you know they were in in this uh you know they were corrupt basically at the end of the day uh maybe not overtly but you know in that sort of classic passive aggressive democrat fashion where what uh is responsible just happens to be what is extremely profitable for you um so the smart the 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 politically responsible thing the the best policy would have been to really take on take apart the whole financial system and that that would have required very likely you know f- full on nationalization sort of strong arm the fed into buying up any institution that's failing so that you can keep the payment system and the the whole global machinery of finance going at the time but, you know, once once the government owns, you know, like the Fed owned AIG, you know, AIG was nearly bankrupt, but then you, the Fed bought it. The Fed has a p- printing press. Therefore, it's not bankrupt anymore. You can keep, you know, keep all the insurance contracts flowing and everything. Then you go through, you carefully look at all its bad debts and shit and you... You, you write all that stuff off, you know, or maybe fold it into a separate bank that's disconnected from the rest of the financial system, let it collapse, write all those bad loans off. And if that causes any sort of knock on effects, well, then you just buy up anybody else who's in trouble. And, you know, once the, the, the panic had passed, you know, the, the, the risk of contagion was really pretty low. Um, you know, Sheila Baer, who was the head of the uh, FDIC at the time, you know, she thought this was totally overstated. Um, you know, once it's clear that the government is, it will step in to save any firm that's going to, going to cause a sort of chaotic collapse, it really shouldn't be necessary. You know, the, that sort of panic that, uh, that could get even strong firms with a good balance sheet shouldn't happen. Um, but then, you know, back, uh, if necessary, it could happen. And it did happen in the case of AIG and they, the, the, the Fed, uh, spent like 180 billion they gave them a bailout package of 180 billion. It ended up being something like that and, and nationalized like over 80% of uh, uh, the, the whole firm. I mean, they owned, owned 80 plus percent of the stock, but because they let Paulson pick their priority, then that bollocks up their, uh, foreclosure crisis. Um, you know, they, they were so worried about the stability of the banks that. Um, even once the crisis had passed and they're looking at what they can do for homeowners they they ran into a problem because you had hundreds of billions, maybe uh, you know uh, the the various uh Obama people quote uh, either seven hundred fifty billion to a trillion dollars in uh, negative equity in all the the homes that had lost value. you know you had these um, you know people had taken out mortgages at the top of the bubble um and then their homes had declined in value so they owed you know a a whole bunch of money on an asset that was worth way less than the loan that's the underwater mortgage you know and so that's the negative equity but all these loans were packaged into mortgage securities you know that that were incredibly complicated um but they they all almost all big banks had billions and billions of dollars of these just shit loans just absolute dog shit probably worth you know nothing or 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 you know, a, a penny's on the dollar. But suppose you come in with the homeowner rescue package, and uh, you know you you let people write off you know a bunch of this bad debt. Well, that's going to zero out you know a bunch of these um, mortgage securities that are that are uh, you know based on the value of the underlying loan, and so it means big hits of the banks. And so Obama turned home uh, home. Homeowner assistance over to Tim Geithner at the Treasury, and that, you know this again is symbolic of the continuity between the Bush and Obama approach to the bailout because Geithner had been head of the New York Fed um, during the uh, during the, the Bush administration, and then of course Ben Bernanke, a Republican, um, was head of the Federal Reserve. now his term expired in 2010, but Obama reappointed him so Tim Geithner constructs this uh, home homeowner, uh, quote unquote assistance package. And the first thing it does is says no, um, no principal reductions. And that's like the, the best and the, 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 the cleanest way to, um, uh, help, you know, struggling homeowners write off that bad debt, uh, get, get, you know, get, get the, uh, get the homeowner to at least a, a uh, to, to, an even position, where the size of the loan is the is the same as the value of the house and that you know has a lot of uh, knock-on effects you know what people people who are underwater who have negative net worth they tend to drastically cut down their spending you know they want to they want to cut down um they want to they want to get above water you know they want to be in the black before they start making any sort of other purchases buying cars you know buying uh, uh supplies or or uh, you know sending their kids to college that sort of thing and then secondly, of course, you would have reduced the the mortgage uh, payments for these people, and that would have put more money in their pockets and helped the rest of the economy and that would they'd have more disposable income but Gaden didn't want that because it would have uh you know would have hurt the banks and then the other thing he did there there all there's a a piece by Carolyn Sissoko, I've cited many times in my my columns for the week, but she goes into the rest of the the aspects of this um the aspects of the crisis the 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 homeowner uh disaster, which was which was quite complicated. And there are other moving parts to this. But the the two main things were the principal reduction, stopping that, and then um Geithner pushed Obama to renege on a promise that he had made to House Democrats to support uh Cramdown. Now Cramdown is a policy that would change bankruptcy law to allow homeowners in a bankruptcy pres- proceeding you know, there are various protections in there, and one of them in, in many states is that you can keep your primary residence uh, in a bankruptcy proceeding. You don't have to liquidate that. In a bankruptcy proceeding, cram down would allow homeowners to write down the value of their mortgage to the assessed value of the home. So it's just like a principal reduction, basically, and done, you know, just done through the, the bankruptcy courts. And Geithner pushed him to, to, to not, you know, the House Democrats were going to stuff this into one of the, you know, must pass appropriation bills. You know, it would have been broadly uncontroversial probably, but it would have hurt the banks. And because they didn't fix the banks really, you know, they only just like sort of inflated them back up again with a shitload of taxpayer dollars and credit. Um, they didn't do that either and then finally he made the program such an incomprehensible clusterfuck of bureaucracy that almost nobody participated i think they allocated only uh 75 billion to the program and didn't even spend like half of it and then they turned the operation of the program over the more over to mortgage servicers and the servicers are the people who who process the paperwork for the um you know the mortgage um, because, you know, due to securitization, nobody knows who owns these mortgages. And so the servicer is, is, uh, just sort of, you know, collecting the payment and sending it on its way. And they're usually part of the banks, um, a little sort of subdivision in there, but the servicers due to the way these contracts are written, have a direct f- monetary incentive to foreclose. And in fact, many of them, uh, tricked, um, used the HAMP program that, that was called the home Home Assistance Mortgage Program, HAMP, they used the HAMP program to trick people into foreclosure. They would say, join, join up this HAMP program and and stop making your payments, and then they would foreclose on them. And so at the end of the day, the result of all this was that it was homeowners who ate that loss for the most part, also the government to to some extent, but homeowners who ate that $750 billion to one hundred trillion loss. And the result was about 10 million foreclosures that happened. And these were just, uh, you know, economic neutron bombs in neighborhoods across the country. Um, You know, these these uh, result in declining home values uh, for all neighboring homes. Um, uh, They they. Uh, you know, can often lead to abandoned properties, a loss of, you know, the the actual structure of the home as it goes un- unoccupied and unmaintained for months or years. Um, you know, terrible side effects, but at least the banks uh, didn't have to eat that loss. So, you know, crisis averted. So, that was big mistake number two. Uh, and that one probably isn't even justifiable in the... It, it, uh, with the, you know, excuse of financial instability, you know, by, by this point, you know, we're talking, this thing is going to 2009 into 2010. Um, it didn't, uh, uh, it, it probably wouldn't have threatened the banks all that much, you know? And, um, if it did, you know, you could have, you could have done something about it, you know, as in the ways that I've described before, but probably they could have eaten those losses. And of course, by this time, you know, by, uh, by late 2009, they're back to making tens of, billions of dollars, um, again, and, and, uh, you know, nobody wanted to really threaten that gravy train. And so finally, uh, the, uh, we've got the stimulus package. And so there's been this argument, you know, going back and forth for years, uh, Michael Grunwald, who's a, who's a, a good reporter, but, but is a very, uh, He's a very partisan Democrat and he, he actually ghost wrote, uh, Tim Geithner's uh, biography. And, um, you know, the, the Democratic partisans argue that the stimulus, which was way too small, uh, was the biggest that you could have gotten through Congress. There was just no way that you could have gotten anything done that was bigger than that. It was about seven hundred and eighty eighty nine billion, I think was the sticker price at the time. Um, admit one of the administration economists Christy Romer she calculated it should be up to 1.8 trillion and uh that was before a bunch of economic data came in that revealed the the first estimates of the size of the collapse were, were way uh too small and that things are actually getting much worse much faster in uh you know mid mid 2008 up to uh, early 2009 nevertheless so you have these new economic indicators coming in. The administration, you know, they didn't even try to pass a bigger stimulus. Um, you know, they didn't they didn't say, you know, we're we're throwing this out there. This is as big as we think it needs to be, you know. We're trying to fill a hole with this thing. This is how big we think the hole is. And, you know, sort of challenge uh Democrats to vote against it. Instead, you know, Larry Summers basically um Tricked, he 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 pushed Romer into undershooting the size of her stimulus and in the internal negotiations because he thought that a number over one trillion was quote extraplanetary, which was Summers speak for that it wouldn't pass with moderate Democrats. But they didn't do you know that, and they didn't you know, I mean you look at how the bailout passed just just a few months previously. They put it in there, and then it failed, and the markets tanked, and there was a vast panic. You know, the economy's collapsing. They they could have, I would say, with a virtual certainty, gotten at least another few hundred billion out of this uh, out of the Congress by saying, you know, look, like this is as big as it needs to be. You are destroying the economy by by failing to, to pass this and you know that would have been sort of taking the economy hostage but the moderates are also taking the economy hostage by failing to pass something that's big enough you know they are they uh, were dooming them and the administration were dooming america to over a decade now of economic stagnation it ruined the party in the 2010 midterms through control of the house and then eventually the senate to the republicans which completely stopped any sort of uh you know policy making at all really And, uh, you know, delayed even a sort of modest recovery so long that now Donald Trump is the one who's in charge when it's finally sort of starting to hit on, you know, a majority of cylinders. So, you know, uh, uh, it's the irresponsible thing again is not to, is to not exert every absolute ounce of effort and authority that you, you possess to try to get this thing up to as big as it possibly can be. And, um... Even aside from that, so you have the sort of headline sticker price of the uh, the stimulus, but there were a lot of clever tricks, and I didn't even know about this until I read the the book, which I really do recommend. I think it's the most the most devastating critique of Obama, the the Obama administration that I've ever read, um, and because it comes from a an insider, someone who knew Obama personally and worked with him and watched him just absolutely face plant in the biggest challenge and opportunity that that any president has faced, you know, since FDR. And he's just blistering. But they had other options they could have tried. So the Congressional Budget Office, you know, scores these bills and they have a 10-year scoring window, which is totally arbitrary. You know, this is kind of a stupid way of making policy you know, and, and their estimates are often off by a lot. Um, but nevertheless, you know, that's the way, that's the, the, the thing that people pay attention to, but you could smuggle a lot of stuff in there if you wanted to. And in fact, people have done this many times. The Obama administration uh, has done it too. So, um, one of them is, is gaming the budget window. So you could, for example, cut taxes a lot, you know, put, put a lot of people, a lot of money back into people's pockets. And then you compensate by adding tax increases that don't take effect until, you know, five years later. So you've sort of paid for it within the, the uh, constraints of the CBO's, uh, budget model. And you haven't increased the headline price, but you've increased the effective stimulus that would happen. And you could do the same thing with spending. You know, you have a big dollop of spending that comes down the pike. And then only later, you know, hopefully after the, the, the recession is over, then you have your tax hikes come in to you know bring in the revenue to compensate. Another thing you could do is um, set up a uh, infrastructure bank, uh, sort of loan program. And the way the the way the scoring works is, you know, you you appropriate ten dollars to some sort of loan program, and you can actually make hundred dollars worth of loans. So one ten dollars for every one dollar of actual appropriations, and that way you get a tenfold bang for your buck. Now this this takes a this you know some sort of infrastructure thing would take uh, a, lo- a longer time probably. It wouldn't be as immediately effective as stimulus, but on the other hand, the stimulus would go. For a longer time, and as we've learned, you know, one of the biggest mis- biggest problems with the stimulus was that it just faded out way too quick. You know, you had all this huge dollop of spending that went through, and then by you know 2011, it's gone, and the economy is not remotely fixed, and so you're just sort of tottering along um, in this sort of mild depression for year after year. And there also are a lot of infrastructure projects that would not require a great deal of planning. You know, you could just do uh, uh, fix the water pipes type of thing. You could say, Hey, any city which needs, uh, which needs to, to redo its water system. And as we've learned over the years, that is most of them. And some of them is actually an emergency. Flint, Michigan. Hello. Here's a big old loan to, to do your water. You know, go ahead and do it. Hey, look, materials are cheap. There's tons of unemployed construction workers. It'll be uh, efficient even in, in money terms. And that, you know, that, that's not a hard thing to plan. You just dig the street up, replace the pipe and put the street back together. Boom. You could have done this in in like half the cities in the country, and then you could have uh you could have refinanced a lot of uh state and local debt. you could have said uh you know we're we're gonna looking at states you know states were a big vector of austerity after the crisis because they're generally legally not allowed to run you know deficits uh and so you know some of them still have a lot of debt, you know a lot of cities and municipalities have debt that that debt is usually pretty high interest and so what you could have done is just refinance all that stuff using the federal credit line which at the time even today is at rock bottom you know you're talking just just nothing interest rates you would have cut you know 3 4 even probably 5 or 6 points off of the uh, interest uh that these uh, these cities are paying depending on on which one you're talking about and just let them basically have access to the Federal Reserve's uh, super low um, interest rate. And that would have uh, allowed, you know, been a big burden off of state and local budgets and let them keep spending on the, you know, their, their local needs and therefore been more stimulus. The administration didn't do any of that stuff. Um, Hunt himself actually went and met with Larry Summers and Tim Geithner and Peter Orzog, who became the director of the Office of Management and Budget. You know, it sort of oversees the president's budget process. And they all, he wanted a a green infrastructure bank that, uh, you know, was going to, you know, that would have extended loans to, uh, replace like tons and tons of coal power plants with renewables or hydro or something like that you know uh, uh basically just starting to decarbonize the the american economy in a really aggressive way now the the stimulus did have a loan program for like uh research you know solar power uh companies and and you know tesla got one um but there wasn't any large scale attack on utilities uh carbon power and that's what he proposed and all three of those guys blew him off they're just like they weren't interested And it was ideological. They didn't like the. They were uh, just like the moderate Democrats. They 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 had sticker shock. They didn't like the idea of the federal government sort of you know quote unquote interfering in the economy for year after year, and uh, you know they wanted to get back to normal quote unquote uh, type of uh, you know the kind of neoliberal order, markets, deregulation, and so on. As quickly as possible. And then the other thing I think that's worth noting about this is that, you know, Trump has really pushed the boundaries of executive authority in a lot of ways. Um, You know, he's got his his Muslim ban. He's got this trade war going with China. um, You know, he's he's thrown tens of thousands of people off of Medicaid. You know, these new work requirement things Um, isn't a multi-billion dollar bailout of farmers and uh you know all of that was just executive orders and picking up authority that uh, you know congress delegated to the president years ago and um you know putting it to maximum use now those are those are bad policies but um you know the the a democratic president could do something in a similar uh style in terms of wielding power that would be you know accomplishing good things we did an episode with david dayan uh, we'll link that one in the description as well, uh, talking about what the president could do, the day one agenda, that is uh, the name of this um, issue of the magazine for the American Prospect. And so, you know, the 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 federal, the, the next president could could cancel basically all student debt. Almost all student debt is now owned by the government and you could just get rid of it. Like you literally could just get rid of it. Um, you could uh give the post office uh, some sort of banking option. You could restore the union rights of uh, home care workers. You know, you could really, you could really start uh uh mandating new rules for clean power. You know that that utilities have to start getting rid of coal and natural gas and increasing fuel standards for cars and trucks. Um, and on and on. There, there, there's dozens of different options that the president could do right now. And so while, you know, uh, as I said, Obama had this incredible opportunity and he just whiffed it. He he took, you know, it it was a deliberate choice, but it was the wrong choice that he made. You know, it it was just a spectacular failure of analysis. um, And I would say no small amount of corruption. Um, And so I would say, you know, the, so far as we can tell, there is no sort of developing financial crisis on the horizon, but you know, Dodd-Frank was not good enough. And the Republicans, you know, together with moderate Democrats in the Senate are, uh, they, they tore up a big chunk of, of Dodd-Frank. And so, you know, another financial crisis is coming at some point. And I would say it's pretty likely going to be in the next administration. Um, if, uh, if, if it doesn't happen this year. And so, you know, the, the, the president is going to have quite likely a, another opportunity, maybe not as big as in 2007 to 2008, uh, but a, a, a significant opportunity to, you know, restructure the financial system, to finally put it in order and, and put it back under control of, of the democratic, you know, institutions. Right now, you know the the Wall Street all but runs the place. You know, look look at Michael Bloomberg, Wall Street billionaire, who's trying with evident success to buy the Democratic nomination. He's in third place now. So, all this is to say that the 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 character and ideology and um, the personnel choices of the of the. Guy or, or woman who ends up in the White House matters a great deal. And, um, you know, the, 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 the green lantern thing, you know, while it does make a very, a very sig- serious point about, you know, the shittiness of the American constitutional system, uh, really, uh, gets Obama off the hook for a lot of terrible, terrible decisions that he, that he, uh, made. And so if you're out there, you know, you're, you're, you're pushing for Bernie or, or Warren, you know, I would say she wouldn't have made most of these mistakes. Uh, d- all this is to say that it, it matters, you know, and, um, you know, that there's a lot more to, to that, that, that goes on in government that, that matters as well. It really matters, you know, winning the, the congressional seats and Senate seats and, and, um, You know, state legislative seats, you know, those are those are just traditionally neglected horribly and they're quite easy to win, especially compared to the presidency. But, you know, the the presidency matters a lot. And so it is not at all a distraction or some sort of wasted effort to try to get Bernie Sanders in that chair. And, uh, you know, if you're out there knocking on doors, trying to get him over the finish line, you're doing God's work. And uh, we all salute you. And uh, yeah, good luck in New Hampshire and beyond. Thanks for listening, folks. Uh, we'll be seeing you very shortly with, a, with an episode about, uh, you know, the New Hampshire results, whatever they are, plus, uh, you know, Mayor Pete and the Bloomberg menace. Talk to you later.